if you wish, open Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 15. An incredible passage where a man, Solomon, one of the most wise men of the earth, as, as such, look at what happens under the sun. And he's just giving his testimony as the one who has a lot of power and yet cannot control the time and the events. He could wish anything, and yet he couldn't control the time and the events around him. And so he gives this wonderful poem, testifying of the, the events passes by the events passed by his eyes, before his eyes, and these events at the right time are a testimony of the fact that he cannot control those things. And as he described this poem, look at as we are, we are about to read. It's like though at that time there wasn't a clock, a pendulum, uh, one of these watch that you put on the wall and as a pendulum. How do you say that? So like, a, like one of these clocks that goes left and right, marking the time with a ticking. Tick and talk. Tick and talk. Now look at with me. This picture here in this poem, moving from one extreme to the other extreme, testifying of the life that is going away every, every time the pendulum wing from one side to the other. Let's read together. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every land under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and, and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to ill. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. Time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sue together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time, to, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker for what in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has all set eternity in their hearts, yet so that men will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good all his labor, it is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear Him. That which is has been already, and that which will be already been. For God seeks what has passed by. What a wonderful passage. Have you noticed how the swinging of the pendulum uh, especially in the first part, went from one side to the other. So let's look at some important aspects of this uh, controlling of the time and events that God has. Let's look at some particular aspect of God's character as He ordained every single beat of the time, every single second, and every single event. So look at what God does throughout history. Look at what God does as He ordained every single moment. The first aspect that I want to focus on regarding God's character in holding time and determining the events is that God ordained the time and the events. He is the one who ordained everything from verse 1. Look at here. 
verse 1 says, There is an appointing time for everything, and there is a time for every man under the sun. God is the one who ordained everything according to the exact time as he established. God is the one who ordained time and the events. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the heaven. Now, I want to take you a little bit, just a few chapters before this, as we go to Genesis chapter 1. And we read in verse 1, In the beginning, time, God created heaven, what? The heavens and the earth. Where were we when God decided to create the heavens and the earth? God is the one who ordained the time to come, and it happened at the right moment, at the right time. And he ordained specific things according to his commands. The light came in, in Genesis 1, 3 to 5. And then the water in Genesis 1, 6. And then the, the, the dirt and the ground in Genesis 9, 1, 1, 9, verse 9 to 13. And then in verse 12, the vegetation. And then the animals in verse 20 to 25. And then man was created in Genesis 1, 26 and following. And Genesis 2 describes the sixth day in a wonderful, perfect way. Where were we when God created everything? We weren't there, right? God is the one who is outside of time, who is outside the event, who is outside everything that happens, but yet he is the one who ordained those. And he's not a God who let everything from creation go its way. He's the God who is in the time, who is in the events, though he transcends the time and the events. Is that not amazing? That speaks a lot about the character of God. Is that not wonderful to know that God, the creator of the universe, is the one from the beginning, control the time and the events? Doesn't give you the kind of assurance that everything that happens in your life has been ordained by God at the right time. Many times the problem is not that what happens can be uh, distraught to ourselves. It's the timing. Sometimes we are waiting for something to happen in our lives, but not at the right time. Right? Like looking for a flight that we want to go, and we're selecting the dates. And the dates that we select are the, always the most expensive. Have you noticed? So when you have to change, they, they offer something else, and this, but this is not the right time, right? This is not when I want to fly. But things happen in our lives, and they are not according to our will, not according to our timetable. The things that happen, whether we like it or not, are coming to the right moment, to the right situation, so that hearts will be exposed. So motives will be exposed in such a way that our hearts will be purified. And he, who, the one who determines this is God. Before the foundation of the world, he knew already what was your challenges. At this right moment, in this situation, in a second, in a minute, what a great God we have. What a wonderful God we have. God is in control of everything that happens. Everything that happens around us. We should just take a breath and trust Him. Trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. Not only God or the time and events, but God... Demonstrates an incredible aspects in controlling time and events. And the fact that, second aspect about God's character, that what God created, what God ordained, is inevitable. What God ordained, it will happen. Not only controls time and the events, but whatever God ordained will happen, is in inevitable. Look at from verse 2, all the way down to verse 8. In the swinging of the pendulum, you see the, 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 from verse 2, a time to give birth and a time to die. 
I didn't choose which year to be born. I didn't choose when was the right time for me to, to come to this, into this world. God decided for every one of us when is the right time for us to come into existence. At the same time, the God who is the God who gives life at the right time, around the, the right circumstances, and the family, according to his will, is the one who will take, us, take our life at the right moment. It's not that comforting to know that even the details of our death has been ordained by God. That everything regarding our lives and our deaths has been predetermined by God in such a way that He knows exactly what it's going to be and how it's going to be. And that He will do in such a way that as children of God, we will give glory to Him. It's not that comforting to know that God cares about us. Though the death is the reality of our cursed condition, He cares about ordaining the, the means and the time and the situation that will take our, our lives back. He's in control. And everything between the birth and the death is in control by God. And that's what happens here. It's not by chance that Solomon put these as first uh, sets of extreme. The birth and the death and everything is in between is expressed what comes after. When it is the time to plan and time to approve what is planned. What a greater, greatest picture as men, how we understand the importance of planting something and waiting for that fruit to come. And then when is the time to approve that plan? Then what we do? We take that plan out. The concept is so easy for us to look and understand how the cycle of life happens. And for that reason, we know when is the time to plant something. And when is the time to harvest what has been planted. And then when is the time to burn and pluck, uproot whatever has been planted and, 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 and put to burn. Solomon depicts the reality of a life. Through the picture of nature. As we toil and, and labor throughout our lives, we realize that one time, like a plant, we've been planted in this, in this world and we will be uprooted from this world after we have done everything that God ordained for His own glory. What a great picture. What a great point. And look at Verse 3. Now, one thing I want to I wanna point it to you, the difference and the importance of descriptive versus prescriptive. Here Solomon is giving a description of what is happening under the sun. He's not prescribing things that we are called to do as we live our lives. Solomon, as a man who has seen a lot in his lifespan... He's just describing all he saw throughout his life, determining that this is something that happens without any, any condition. Inevitably, it will happen. And so Solomon says that there is a time when people take life and, and when people will kill others because of the evil that exists in this world. It doesn't say that there is a time that I can kill somebody. It's just describing that there is a time when, though we don't like it, either by accident or by determination, somebody will kill somebody. And believe it or not, even those things never escape from God's control. Never will escape from God's control. Though God is not the one who ordains evils, though God is not the one who does evil, He is in control of time and of the events. And as Pharaoh was doing all evil things against the people of Israel, 
hardening his heart, even more God was hardening his heart to do justice and to bring forth his word and demonstrate that he's a powerful God. We have a limited mind. We don't see around the bend of our life. We don't see what is happening in a second. We don't see what happened, what, what's happening in a minute. Might be somebody walking in this chair and start shooting us. Everything is under God's control. We don't need to panic. We don't need to lose control knowing that there is evil outside and that somebody can kill me or can, can kill somebody dear to me either with a car or with some, whatever is, can happen. God is in control with that. And even more, God gives opportunities sometimes to operate in such a way that those, those things that were so harmful can be healed, can be taken care. I cannot speak enough about how God so miraculously saved my life. I was about to die, not because somebody was trying to kill me. But the, the nature of life is that. Cancer, leukemia, can kill us. It's a demonstration that evil exists. And God uses that. But at the same time, God uses great mercy and love. At the right time, according to his will, he might heal it's not that our hope is in there, in the healing process, because we know we are all terminal. We are all terminal. It's only a matter of when. But God can bring healing, can bring solution to affection and to our body problems. But this is in God's control. So for that reason, those around there that, that put the name of God in raising their hands to try to do healing, putting their hopes in the healing, they are completely losing the main thrust of this passage. This verse should encourage us to trust God even more rather than trust in men who can heal our bodies. Our physical healing is the last thing that we need. It's through the process of healing that we learn the grace of God. And the mercy of God. A time to tear down and a time to build up. How many times we have invested time in building things. And hurricanes and earthquakes come and everything falls down, right? All these things is part of the lifespan from birth to death. And God is in control of their things. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. The, 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 either in the private time of your life when you are under such much pressure and you weep in your, in your house, in your home, in your bed because something bad happens. God is there. God ordains those moments. And through those moments, God will take you through and make you Grow in, this, in those moments. There is times where we need to mourn. There are times where we need to weep. There are times where I'm alone weeping. But there are times where we weep together, right? Like Paul says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's part of being human. One thing that we realize in the process of this life, birth, and death, that if we understand the mind of God, if we understand how God works so perfectly in our lives, we come together in helping each other and encouraging each other. Laughing when it's time to laugh together, enjoy life, the blessing that God is giving. And mourning together, Weeping together when we see the reality of our human frailty. How delicate and frailty and corrupted we are. There is a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together.
just to explain what he means in the ancient time, the, the, the concept of gathering stones and castaway stones has two significant meaning. One in a war context. Gather stones so that you will use that as a weapon. And then cast away these stones to use them as a weapon. Or to the changing of the, uh, of the uh, ruling from one nation to the other. They would conquer the places gathering stones. Putting the stones in the fields so that the fields will not produce the crop. So that you would in that way uh, help, you know, you, you would help your invasion and push your, your enemies away that were belonging the land. So yes, there are moments where things happen and our affairs and our situation are not doing well. We, maybe the work is not going the way we were thinking. Somebody is in, in the situation causing problems in your business or in your place of work. And yet even then, is it controlled by God? Have you ever found yourself complaining about your, your neighbor? Or the way that he's doing things that causes harms in your, in your garden or anything else? Or have you ever complained yourself about your colleague? or your classmates, or your brother-in-law, or your sister-in-law, the way things are happening and causing harm to you. And you will gather stones and you want to throw stones at them, right? Well, even those moments are in the hands of God. And God ordains those moments. In fact, it says, there is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, speaking about friendship. And how difficult it is to build friendships, right? To create those camaraderie between a man and another man, between families. So that things can happen, things good can happen in that friendship. There are times where this friendship is fruitful and it's beautiful. And there are th- sometimes when thing, things happen because of our sinful nature, that we must refrain from that and maybe confront a sin. Maybe... Tell what is wrong, causing a little bit of hostility between what was the beautiful friendship. These are all things that happen, and I'm sure happen to all of you. And all these things are part of God's plan in your life. The only thing that we need immediately to consider is, if God ordained this, how should I use this for His glory? How should I use even when I have to refrain from embracing? And I say, Lord, help me through this conflict. Help me to understand how should I deal with this conflict when there is difference of opinion. How can I use this for your glory? Not like what we find in James. In James chapter 4 when... uh, when, Paul, uh, when James says that conflict arises because of our lusts and lustful desires for our own benefit rather than for God's glory. So think about when there is a time to tear and a time to sue, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. The, those, those, uh, verse 7 is speaking about exactly the, the aspect of, of a relationship and interaction where you tear down uh, clothes because something bad happened in the ancient time. And something that is so devastating that you, you would tear your clothes because of the much pain. Think about Job. When went through the much suffering, what did he do? He just tear his clothes, put a what was the English term? Sackcloth. And sat on a hash and wept. But then there was, at the end of, of, of the book of Job, we see a lot of sowing happen. A lot of people came to him, of his family, and helped him to rebuild. And he worked hard. And he 
sew back everything that he tear down because of the suffering. There is a time to, to, to be silent and a time to speak related even to the concept of love and hate. God doesn't ordain me, doesn't command me to hate somebody. Right? But at the same time, we hate evil, right? Though this is a descriptive language, we see that many times people hate us. People hate us. People, doesn't like, people don't like what Christians would do. People will reject everything we, we do. These things are also ordained by, by God. In fact, in this, uh, in this, the end of this poem, Solomon says, a time for a war and time for a peace. The world is at war. And it's an ongoing battle. And there are moments where there is a little bit of peace. Think about now the life of Solomon. What we know about Solomon's lifespan as a king what did they enjoy? Great peace. Great prosperity. And yet it still speaks about war. For some reason it's still testifying that war is present in the world. Though Solomon as a king who asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom and then prosperity. And God blessed him in a kingdom that was marked by peace, it still testifies that there is war. Why? Because in society, though we don't, we don't embrace guns, well, in the States we embrace guns, but not that often, we still are at war between one another. And peace is something that is so precious it must be pursued. James 4.13 says, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a myth that appear for a little time and, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That is a crucial implication that comes out directly from the poem that we read. We, sh we must understand that we should realize that from the time we were born to the time we will see the Lord face to face if we are all children of God. Everything that is in between is part of God's will. Whatever we do, we should say as James encourages us to say, if the Lord wills. Only the arrogant, only those who do not know God, only those who reject, reject God, will be arrogant and say, I will do this, I will do that. A knowledge that God is in control is the essential part. Everything that God ordained is inevitable. It will happen, whether you like it or not. It's just a matter, will you submit to that? Will you realize and trust God in those moments? And the question is, Will you do the right thing? If you fail to do the right thing, as James says, it is sin. And what is the right thing? To acknowledge God in your life. In everything that happens in your life, God ordained it. And it's happening because God ordained it. So, to move on and going on in the way that God handled time and events, we look at verse 9, and we see that what God ordained reflects His justice. What God ordained reflects His justice. 
Look at verse 9. What gain has the worker for his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. You know, when I was reading this passage, these two verses, you know what, what verse came immediately to my, to my mind? It was Genesis 3. Genesis 3 from verse 17 to 20. When after the fall, God asked accountability, asked about accountability from Adam and said, what happened, Adam? I gave you permission to do whatever you, you had to do to keep and guard this garden. And you, ha- you didn't guard this garden. You let the snake come in and deceive your wife and deceive you. So for that reason, from now on, this is the judgment that I will give. That you will work hard, you will sweat, and yet the, the ground will not give you the equivalent for your labor. You will suffer uh, pain and you will suffer loss because of your, your, uh, because of your rejection, because of your sin. And Solomon observes that he who is a rich man, look at what, consider whatever happens in the lifespan of a man, and says, what is the profit? What is the profit of his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And you know, though the observation and the examination that Solomon is giving us here, realizing all his frustration for all the toil and for all the vanity of vanity that he sees, it's still a demonstration that God is justice, is just. That God does everything according to his justice. We face the trials and the suffering in our labor, in our toils, not having the, the full joy of what we do because it's the falling condition of humanity. When we, when we are frustrated in our job, when we are frustrated when we don't get what we need, when, when we don't get what we want, it's just the reality of our fallen human condition. And it's just that we suffer that. That was promised and declared by God in the Garden of Eden. Because Adam and we in him. And if you were there. And if I was there. I would have done the same thing. We decided to do other things. To base our lives on other things. Rather than God's truth. So when we are laboring. And we are frustrated. By the everyday of life. In the, in the little things. That is a demonstration that God is just in doing what he does. When God declared the right condemnation for man, he was doing the right thing. Now think about another important passage that came to my mind. It's in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. To 21 when two brothers had to divide the inheritance. And one didn't want to divide the inheritance, and the other wanted to divide the inheritance, and went to Jesus and said, Lord, please, help my brother understand what's going on here, that he has to divide the inheritance, that I can get my part and go on. All the frustration regarding money. And Jesus says, you know, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. And Jesus says, there was this man whose land was very productive. His land produced a crop that was ten times more than what he expected. So he had old barns. And he said, I cannot put this old barn, all, all this crop inside this barn. So I'll tear down these barns, build a new one, and then store all this crop for the many years before me. And I will say to my soul, enjoy, rest, and have fun. And the Lord appeared in the same night. And said to him, Oh foolish, what will you do with all this crop? Knowing that your life will be called back tonight. What can you do with that stuff? 
What is more important? The things that surround us and make us our lives more comfortable? Or the fact that we realize God's justice? We recognize God's justice. And we'll live such a way that we reflect His righteousness. That we pursue His righteousness more than a comfort life here on earth. So when we toil and we labor, let's remind ourselves that God is justice. God is just. And that should bring us to seek after his righteousness rather than seek after our comfortness, our comfort zone. But then another important aspect that we find in verse 11, that what God ordained is beautiful and perfectly on time. It says, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Do you believe that? Solomon is still observing. And as a man walking on earth, he realizes there are things that are beautiful. And there are things that are so beautiful, even in the timing when these things happen. Whatever God ordained, is beautiful and perfectly on time. Whether the things that we like it, we like, whether the things that we don't like. According to God's standard, everything that he does reflects his beauty and his provision. Have you ever found yourself caught into anxiety for things? That are out of your control. Where you are about to panic. Because things are happening out of your control. And they are not quite beautiful. Making you go crazy. Well, you know why? Because you don't trust in God's promises. You don't trust in God's provision. Every time that God, everything that God does... It's so beautiful at the perfect time. In His promises and His provision, He will do everything good for our lives. And we should be able to say, say even the worst case scenario, how beautiful is the hand of God in my life, though it is painful. James 1.2 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfectly complete, lacking in nothing. I was studying this passage of James, the one that I just read, and it was about three years ago that was going up and down the freeway, the 405. And just the process of driving at 6 o'clock in the morning, up and down, from the 405, it's a trial. (laughs) It's the way to hell. And you get up at 5.30, to get on the freeway at 5.30, to be down in Santa Monica, to have treatments on my teeth, painful. And you, with your mind, I was right there, going through the freeway, knowing that in about half an hour, I was going to have the most painful treatments. And then I stopped in front of the dentist. A little time until he opened, and I opened James as part of my assignments from my seminary class. And I read through James, and I said, count it all joy. When you, when you encounter via trials of, of every situation, I said, Lord, I trust you. But this is tough now in this moment. And yet, you know what happened? I asked God to give me faith in that moment. I asked God to increase my faith even in that little moment where I was distraught by all the situation, the, the, the craziness of going and driving on the 405, the pains because of dental treatments. So, Lord, please help me to see how I can count everything as joy when I face this situation. And I start having a thinking. When you drive up and down, why you don't pray for the people around you? 
When you don't stop praying for those who are cutting in front of you, praying for the safety, for the safety of other people. Why you don't pray for their salvation? You can barely see through the windows, their faces. Pray for them that they might have an opportunity to listen to the gospel. And I can tell you that those trials have become a joy, have become a joy, became a joy. When I start praying for them, when I start looking at behind the trials in what God was doing in my life, that I wouldn't be focused on me, that I wouldn't be so self-centered, but I would look at the people around me and see what the Lord is doing in their lives through my trials. So when James says, if you lack wisdom, go and pray God, following those verses. So what is this asking God? What do you ask God? What is the wisdom that we need? Do I trust you in this moment, or I don't trust you in this moment? Do I count this beautiful and perfect in my life, or do I reject it, reject it as it comes from your hand? So going on, still in verse 11, not only what God ordained is beautiful and perfect, but what God ordained is inscrutable. It says also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find Find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Solomon is such a, a, a wise man. And he's describing such a profound teaching here. A profound truth. That he understands that in the heart of man, he understands eternity. That in, in the conscience, as Romans 2 and Romans 1 reminds us. We know that there is a God. We have a concept of eternity. Though we might not accept it, and many will say, I'm an atheist, I believe that when I'm dead, I'm dead, and nothing happens. Deep in the heart, man, every man knows that there is eternity. But yet, we need help. We need help. Because though we might see that there is a God through general revelation to creation, though our consciences speak about a God, we don't know how to reach out to Him unless He reveals it to us. And we don't know exactly the plans that He has in mind from the beginning to the end. And even as believers, though we know His plan... In the big picture, in what is doing in the world, and how we will bring to an end this world uh, when the, the coming of his son will, for the second time, establish his kingdom and rule and establish the eternal kingdom afterwards. Yet, we don't know exactly how this entangles. We have to find our limit in that. We need to realize that we are human beings that have been limited in their vision of what is happening in our lives. We do have the understanding of eternity, but we, don't, we cannot comprehend the mind of God. We cannot understand what is fully, fully doing in the world. So we need to accept that we need to trust Him in this, pro, in this process. We need to stand by His side saying, I trust you, Lord. Though I don't understand what is, is about to happen, what happened, I trust you. I trust you in the time and in the situation. Let's move on to verse 12. That what God ordained flows from His grace. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toys. This is God's gift to man. Think about what is Solomon saying here. Look at exactly what, what Solomon say, is saying here. And clearly affirm, as he affirms, the fact that there are moments in our lives when good happens. There are moments in our life where we have a plate and... In this culture, here in the States, I don't think there are many who miss a plate on the table. Though there are some people, homeless people, by choice or by 
other situation, that they don't have every day a plate. But those moments of abundance and goodness, that is a demonstration of God's grace. Though men look for these things and, and strive to have those moments of good and, and blessed time and have the fridge full, they forget to recognize that these are an expression of God's grace. So think about how crazy we are. To have the fridge full and have everything that we want. We work hard, so hard for eight hours a day. Then we buy stuff, we buy stuff. Then at the end of the week, this stuff rotten, and then we throw that away. Forgetting in this process that God has provided for their needs, for their goods. But we think, I worked hard. That was my labor. So I'm entitled to throw whatever I like, to throw away whatever I don't like anymore. Consumism. Are you familiar with that term? That's a wrong assumption in life, dear brothers and sisters. We need to understand that every good that we have and every moment of goodness that we experience is an expression of God's grace. Don't despise that. We need to be careful in the way we use the things that God entrusted us. We need to be very responsible because they are an expression of God's grace. It's not our labor and toil that made our fridge full. It's God's providence. So remember this. That God is in control of time. God is in control of the events. And through those moments, God gives those incredible expression of grace. And we are accountable the way we use His grace. Even unbelievers will have to be to give an account for the common grace that God is giving them in the rain and the sun and in the provision and the season that He is constantly providing even for unbelievers. And those, those great expressions of grace will be a testimony against them that though instead of repenting, for the, the loving kindness and the longing that the Lord is expressing toward them, waiting for season after season so that they might repent, yet they still harden their heart and they will reject, they will reject this wonderful act of grace. So moving on to verse 14, we see that what God ordained is permanent, and complete. Let's read together. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything can, take, can be taken from it. What God ordained is permanent and complete. There is nothing we can do sitting on the table with God and discussing with Him and say, can we change this in my life? I don't like this. Okay, let's, let's discuss now just for a second. I want to change this aspect. That is not, so not what I want. Whatever God does, whatever God has ordained, is permanent and, and is complete. In the time and in the events, everything that He, he plans, it will come to pass. Now, let me, let me encourage you to to relax on these promises. To read this verse and consider whatever is happening in my life as a sense of completeness, as a sense that is permanent impact in my life. Let this word and this verse penetrate in your mind and see how that will impact the moment when something that you don't like happens in your life. And, 
establish the reaction, not based on what you like or not like, but what a, a, the original plan for God, to produce completeness in your life. Something that is permanent. Like the day when Christ and his message became relevant in your life. How impactful was that moment. And most of the time, the situations that led us to Christ are through shadows and valleys and difficult times that brought us on our knees. And yet, at that moment, we met Christ. Producing a permanent and complete transformation of the heart. Do you, do you understand that? As from the beginning, God intended that. He will keep doing things in your life to produce something that is permanent, impacting permanently your life, and giving completeness to your life. To ultimately... Last part of verse 14, God ordain, what God ordained produces true worship. Now read again with me verse 14 all the way down to the, the last word of verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from me. So God has done it so that people fear before him. Do you see that? What is the ultimate thing that God is doing in your life that you might go on your knees and fear Him? You understand that you are a man, we are men, and He is God. And He deserves the respect that He needs. He, he deserves the fear that we need to have. The kind of reverential fear towards Him that produces true worship. Not a fear of ter being terrified, which is part, anyway, of approaching God. But the fear that brings you to worship Him and recognize Him as the God of the universe who is in control of time and of the events. And then lastly, verse 15. What God ordained, ordained is immutable. And look at how wonderfully He expressed this. The which is, already has been. The which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. What a riddle, huh? It's nothing, nothing less that what God intends is immutable. He's not the God that changes mind. Though we see many times in the Old Testament, and where it says, God repented, God changed mind. That was already part of the process of putting to place what he has already ordained. It's just our understanding as human as we look at what God is about to do. He promised judgment to the people of Nineveh. And yet what, it, what it happens? Salvation comes. Because that was part of his plan from the beginning. But yet from our perspective like... Jonah didn't like it, right? He didn't want it. But everything that God does is immutable. It reflects his immutability. His character is clearly defined by immutability. He doesn't change mind like we so often change mind about what we think regarding people or regarding situation. In what we do or what we should say. God he is in harmony in everything he says and everything he does. Everything that is revealed in this word is, is in harmony with his, his immutable character. God will never change a bit. So, as we've seen these 15 wonderful verses, and there's been so many truths that we have seen regarding God handling time and events. What are the implication, in which way these truths regarding God's sovereignty over time and events should change your life. In all the things that we have seen from verse 1 all the way, all the way down to verse 15, how would you approach now the fact that God is in control 
of time and events. We should look at it with a lens, through the lens of, of key verses. Like Hebrew 9, 27, 28 says, And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after there comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to do what sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The first important implication of the thing that we have seen tonight in this passage is realizing that in this pan of life, from the time we were born to the time we will die, we should focus our mind, our hearts on this truth. That at the appointed time, Christ came the first time, right? Not one year earlier, not one year later. At the appointed time, Christ came. And he lived on earth according to God's plan. Dying on the cross exactly at the right moment. To take on the cross our sins. To nail them on the cross. And then at the appointed time, we will die as men. But yet, eagerly waiting for the second coming of Christ. When he will redeem us. Because of what happened on the cross made us friends and children of God. So whatever happens in your lives, let's focus on this truth. This great implication that God at the appointed time sent his son. And the appointed time the gospel became relevant in our lives. And every event is an appointed time. A life lived on time. So that we might even more desire Christ in our lives. Galatians 4.4 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Events and times as in control, in God's control, in such a way that even as we are instruments, become instruments to bring the gospel to others. Be sensitive to the appointed time that God is giving you to be a light into this world. So that even others might be part of the adoptions and become sons of God. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died. For the ungodly. Now my question is. Are you still part of the ungodly? Those who don't, do not see God. And Christ. The center of your life. Or are you part of the godly one. That have been, have been rescued. By their own self-righteousness. Are you in the, in the point where. You are still divided between the two. I don't know your hearts. I don't know where are you standing. But think about this. That God is in control of the time and of the events. So that whoever has been ordained to be a son and a daughter of God. He will be redeemed. He will be redeemed. The only matter is. Are you willing to submit? Are you willing to have faith in this God who is in control of time? And events. As an unbeliever. Living in the ungodly world. Are you willing to forsake yourself. And trust God. In the way he controls. Everything that happens in your life. To the point the very moment you are now. Struggling in life. Recognize that he is bringing him to you. Or as a believer. Are you trusting him. That he will complete the work. He has begun in you. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we understand there is a lot to digest regarding these truths. There is a lot to, to recognize in terms of our human response to things that happen in time in our lives. We remember the day when you brought us, brought us to you. 
We remember the day you call us out of this world. And we long for the day you will bring us to your glory, whether in, in the time when Christ comes back, taking us up, or when our time will finish here on the earth. But in this process between life and death, Lord, we want to grow in trusting you in every aspect of our lives. In every moment, we want to grow in trusting your promises and providence. That you are immutable God and will bring to pass everything that you are, have determined. Help us to have rest and not be disturbed in life because of lack of control of situation. Help, help us to be rest in your promises and to find joy in the midst of trials. We ask you to give the wisdom that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.